Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for real estate investors looking to protect their assets, save on taxes, and build their wealth with Clint Coons. Clint is an attorney, author, avid real estate investor, and featured instructor at Anderson's tax and asset protection events held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. What's up, guys? Hey, it's Clint Coons here. And in this episode, what I want to do is talk about house hacking and how to get started in it. And I can think of no one better than Kelton Todd with Women's Real Estate Investor Network. He's an author, speaker, mentor, coach. And more importantly, he's an actual client that I've been working with for several years. And I've seen this growth in his portfolio. And I've seen what he's been able to do with people that he's worked with when it comes to real estate investing. And he's done a lot of it through house hacking. And the thing about his strategies, because we're going to talk about some of the ones you may already know about, but he's got one strategy that really blew me away and really piqued my interest. And we're going to get into that as well as we go on during this conversation. So if you ever want to learn about house hacking, it's good that you join me today because with my special guest, we're going to go into that. Kelton, how are you doing? Doing great, Clint. Good to see you. And I'm super excited to get to share some specialized knowledge that we've learned over the years. House hacking is one of my absolute favorite strategies. I love it because it's applicable to brand new investors that are just getting started and are looking for a way to, to save a buck or make an extra buck all the way up to, to the, some of the biggest investors I know in the industry. And as we've discussed, you know, we've put together one of the most advanced house hacking strategies that allow you to pocket some, some serious change. It's a little more than, than written out your bedroom. So it's just, it's ideal because it gets to cover all the spectrum. So love it. Love the topic and super excited to, to have the chance to get to, to join you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's great because I know, especially a lot of people who are new investors and they're trying to get started and build up their portfolio, this is a great strategy for them. It's a way for them to get a larger house than they might otherwise be able to afford, allows them to start that rental portfolio. So why don't you start off and break it down, You know, go through your first strategy and explain to everyone who's watching uh, how it works and, and what you teach people. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll talk about a few different ways to house hack because, again, I think it's important that no matter who's listening right now understands what we're about to discuss is applicable to you. Like I promise you, if you're listening to this right now, one of the strategies we're about to discuss is something that you can do to either earn you know, some extra cash flow, like you said, start that portfolio or actually earn some serious, serious cash uh, and some really cool tax advantage ways that obviously uh, Clinton and team over there at Anderson can help you out with and, and walk you through quite a bit. So uh, the first strategy that, that I'll share with you is starting out for more of like that beginner that's looking to jump in and get started. So the first, and I like to kind of classify them or, or tier them. So for me, the first uh, house hacking strategy that you want to kind of understand and learn. And again, it's it's good to learn about all of them, no matter which one you're going to do, so that you at least know that the others exist and know where you fall on that on that scale of which one you might want to start out doing next. So the first one I would say is probably the most common version. I like to kind of explain it in the form of the college roommate theory, right? So when I went to college, unfortunately, I was not an educated investor at the time, but my roommates were, and or my roommate's parents were, I should say. And so my roommate's parents bought a house. I went to Texas A&M and College Station. So they went and bought a four bedroom, two bath house, nothing fancy, about a 2000 square foot home. And uh, they were smart enough to let their son stay in the master bedroom, but they told him that he had to rent out the other bedrooms. And so that's exactly what happened. Uh, as a matter of fact, ironically, he was the best man at my wedding and still to this day, uh, my best friend and uh, golf buddy that we golf at least a couple times a week. 
And that's actually how we met. He had an extra bedroom in his bedroom, I mean, in his uh, uh, house, and he needed to to get that thing rented out. And so a buddy that we were connected from put me in touch with him, and I moved in. And from that day forward, I paid his parents 500 bucks every single month uh, for the last several years that I was in college to rent that bedroom out from him. But it wasn't just me. It was a couple other roommates. So we had three roommates that are paying him 500 bucks a month to live in this four-bedroom house. We uh, Three of us paid 500 bucks a month to live in our three bedrooms. And interestingly enough, now that we're good friends, I found out later after the fact that his whole mortgage and everything all in was right at 1500 bucks a month. So his parents got to buy him a house, put him up in the master suite. Uh, it was a nice home and in a nice little subdivision, uh, you know, right outside of College Station. And not only did he, they not have to pay a penny for his room and board, but we lived in that house for a few years, of course, in college. And then whenever he graduated, they went on to sell that thing and make a whole lot of money. So I like to explain it in that lens because I lived it in the real world, but that's applicable for, for you that are listening because don't be me and don't be the guy that was just renting a bedroom, be my roommate's parents and be the guy that's actually owns the house. Now you can do that multiple different ways. You can do it for yourself. So if you want to live rent free, buy yourself a house, rent out the other two or three bedrooms, right? If you want to get real creative, you can even make some money, but at the very least live uh, rent free. And we chopped the bills up four ways. So, so the only bills he was paying was one fourth of each of the uh, utilities. And, and that was the only cost for them to pay for him to, uh, to live there. So you could do that yourself or if you have kids in college or anything along the concept that I just explained, you could do something like that. So there's a lot of different ways to get creative about it. But the whole theory is basically to, you know, rent out a portion of your house, but live in the other portion of the house and just, you know, hack the home that you're living in to create some additional income with things now like Airbnb, VRBO, the home away. There's a lot of other ways to get creative where if you don't want a full-time roommate, but hey, you don't mind someone hanging out for a weekend in, in one of the bedrooms or something like that. You can literally rent out just a bedroom temporarily to bring in some revenue. I know quite a few people who have like, you know, second homes or vacation homes or even friends. Uh, I've actually got uh, some, some people that I taught the strategy to that loved it. And what they do is they will rent out their entire house on Airbnb, VRBO, whatever it is. And they will go stay with uh, a friend who has a guest house and a pool house. And they love it. They they get excited. Anytime somebody rents their house, they set it at a premium. And they're like, heck yeah, we get to go stay in my buddy's pool house all weekend long while we make a thousand bucks this weekend for renting out my house. So there's a lot of different ways to do it, but it just kind of all revolves around, hey, get some extra revenue coming in from the house that you already home the home that you already own. And like you said, the cool thing is you can also take it to the next level and buy a little bit higher end house or a little nicer house than maybe you would have been able to afford knowing that, hey, you're not going to be the one stuck that's got to pay that mortgage every single month. Yeah. Renting out your house like that. I mean, I guess that would work until your wife comes home and find that four <laughs> pairs of underwear is missing out of the drawer. <laughs> that, that's yeah. right. Or an extra four pair, more importantly, <laughs> an extra pair laying around. Yeah. But uh, no, you're right. So with that, when, when you rent out rooms in the house, we did the same thing for our daughter when she was going to University of Arizona. And the thing about that when she was down there is that the, the people that came in, I mean, you got to have a rental agreement with them. We had a drug policy in there as well that they couldn't smoke pot or use drugs in the house and right splitting up the bills. But what about other challenges? You know, if you, if you do that, that you've seen people run into or you yourself have run into with renting out rooms? 
Yeah, for sure. So obviously what what I would recommend, and again, I think that college example is great because everybody understands it and wraps their head around it. And then all of a sudden you just have to spin it around and say, okay, you be the person that buys the house and you be the person that rents it out. So this doesn't only apply to college towns, right? You Mm -hmm. can do it in any town that you live in. And like you said, in a college town, there's going to be some more things to look out for, i.e. drugs, you know, parties, things like that. But even even if you're not in a college town or even if you're just you know live, living in the house yourself, um, the one big thing that I wouldn't do, like don't, I wouldn't go out and buy a house that's four times more than you can afford because you can afford to rent in one of the bedrooms, right? You're going to have vacancies. You're going to have times where you don't necessarily want to put you know somebody in every single one of the bedrooms. So I would recommend to not necessarily rely on it as like a huge portion of the income because there, there's going to be times where it's just not ideal. Maybe, maybe like you said, y- your wife or your girlfriend or something at the time is like, hey, I don't, I don't want to be living with all these other strangers or whatever it is. So don't over leverage with the strategy, just capitalize on it as, as, as additional income that you can do. I've also heard of people just taking that money and putting it towards the mortgage to just pay down their mortgage if they don't even need that cash flow to, you know, to, to save a little bit there. But so that, that would be a big tip is just ma- make sure that you're not necessarily relying on that income. You, you don't want to put yourself in that position. You've, you've got your tax and asset protection set up in a way that you're not going to get sued by another one of the tenants and all of those things. But but let Anderson take care of all that for you, or at least that's, that's what we do. So uh, I won't speak on that part. But really, like you said, just get a good lease in place and and make sure there's clear guidelines of what they can do, what they can't do. And the best piece of advice I could probably give you if you're going to go that exact route and do that version is interview them as if you were interviewing, you know, a friend, like pick somebody that you don't mind sharing, you know, uh, uh, some space with and a bedroom with, make sure that you kind of set some clear expectations of, you know, how clean the house needs to, needs to stay and, and all of those kinds of things. Uh, but you just don't want to get in, you know, in, in a situation where you're having to quote unquote, evict somebody out of a bedroom. So I think you really nailed it by just getting a good uh, agreement in place that, that clearly states that they're not, renting the entire home that they're only that they're only leasing a portion of it. Yeah. So a couple of things about that too is what you you hit on is knowing people. One of the kids that went to school with my son when he started working, I think he works at Raytheon or McDonald Douglas, I'm not sure. But anyways, when he went to work there, before he bought a house, what he did is he got to know his coworkers, found out about it, their living arrangements. And then when he found people that he aligned with he right. then approached them and said, would you be interested in renting out a house for me? And he got details on how long they might be interested in doing that or renting out a room, excuse me. Once he figured out those details, then he went out, bought a house, and he knew right away he had three tenants who were willing to commit prior to that to live in that property. And he knew we got long, uh, along with them. Yeah. So I think that's important. And same with, with our daughter, you know, when she was interviewing people to stay in the property and rent the rooms from her, they were typically, you know, either girls in her sorority or other girls that in other sororities that she knew she already had an existing relationship with. And only one time she dealt with someone that she didn't have a relationship with, didn't know they came in. And wouldn't you know, that's the one that yeah. did not work out. So that I think that relationship's important because you want to make sure that that you can live with that person, right? Because a different personality, it could be a conflict. You know, you put your, your dinner in the fridge, you come home and you find your, your friends eating it. That's uh, right. Yeah, no, no, that's that's right. And you just triggered another uh, a good one that 
my brother's girlfriend a long time ago actually did uh, traveling nurses. Traveling nurses is a great opportunity. They, they're typically looking for a place for about six month time period and they want it fully staged and furnished and ready to go, but you get to charge a premium. And so she actually rented hers out and she was in that industry. So she went, as soon as we told her about it, she was like, this is a no brainer. This is crazy. Why don't I do it? She started renting them out. It went so well that she actually moved out and just kept renting all the rooms out in the house and didn't even live with them. But again, it kind of went back to knowing people. So even though maybe she didn't know everybody that moved in, at least she knew they were in the industry. She knew the company that they were working for. So if it, you know, if it turned into this big nightmare, like she could at least go and talk to their boss, like go and talk to people that are in the same industry that are associates with them. And so, yeah, I think, I think you kind of nailed it. I, I would find a way to, to get people that you somehow, some way know, and it doesn't necessarily always need to be like a college town or even a traveling nurse. It can just be anything that's applicable to, to you and your situation. Like my, my dad was a, a police officer for quite some time. That would have been an ideal pool to pull from fellow people that, that were, um, you know, police officers like that, that would be a good group of people that you would be open to, to renting places out. So I think connections and, and getting somebody, like you said, that you, that you either know or have some association with that you can trust is, is a huge advantage. Well, there's a nugget right there that I hope people picked up on because what you said about the traveling nurses, that is exactly what a friend of ours did. He and his wife no longer had any kids in the house. They had met someone who's a traveling nurse while they're on vacation, just found out that she was going to be coming to Washington. And they said, hey, do you want to rent a room? And she ended up staying with them, I believe it was six, six to eight months, and they collected income. So if you already have a property and you're wondering, yep. you know, I've got all this extra space, you know, 5,000 or 3,500 3, square foot home, and it's pretty empty between me and the wife, the cat, reach out there for traveling nurses. Well, great. Yeah. So that's one strategy. Tell yeah. us about the second strategy you have when it comes to house hacking. Yeah, so the se second strategy gets a little more advanced and a little more fun, in my opinion, because now you're not necessarily, is the way I always like to put it, you know, all right, we're done with the college thing. We're done with the renting out a room. Let's kind of grow up a little bit. And hey, I want my own space. I don't want to share. Maybe I've got a girlfriend or a serious girlfriend or a fiance or a wife that that's not okay with strangers coming in and out of the house. It's just taking it to the next level and taking advantage of when buying a, a property, we have a lot of different government-backed loans nowadays, right? It's the American dream. We get to own a house, and instead of having to put 20% down for an investment house, one cool thing about when you're doing house hacking is you get to acquire these houses with little down. Like you can do FHA loans, as put as little as 3 4 5% down, and take advantage of, of that homestead. What, what a lot of people don't realize is it doesn't have to be a, a single-family residence. It can actually be a duplex, a triplex, or even a, a, a quadplex or fourplex. So you can get a loan for a one to four family residence. Typically, you're going to go through the exact same loan process. And so instead of now renting out a room, you can rent out the other unit, right? So let's just take a, a, a fourplex for a simple example and treat it just like the four bedroom analogy, right? So you buy a fourplex. Again, you can, you can get approved uh, very easy with like FHA type loans to buy these types of properties, put very little minimal down payment down. And now you move into one of the units and then you rent out the other three units. So I would kind of use the same rough numbers. Uh, we're here in Texas, so our numbers may be a little lower than than some of yours, but we've got students all over the nation that, that you know do these strategies and, and just about every single state they work, the number just moves a little bit. But let's say you rent each unit out for 1500 bucks a month. So you're collecting 4,500 bucks a month. As long as you're all in for under, you know, $4,000 a month, then you're living absolutely, you know, for free as well as 
cash flow in five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month. I've heard of people even cash flowing as much as a couple thousand dollars a month by simply renting out the other units and still getting to take advantage of the homestead where you can actually go and buy those homes with very little money down. So just a, just a cool way to do it without having to, to share the uh, kitchen with somebody else. Yeah. And the thing about it is I've seen some developments coming going in now where my clients have been investing in them where they're buying a fourplex. And these are new builds from the ground up and they're really nice, you know, 15 to 1700 square foot units, you know, each individual unit in that fourplex, you got about 6,000, 6,500 square feet and the rents that they can charge, you know, in the areas in which they're buying, it's, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. And everything works out, they're going to cash flow right away off of that when they're living in, in one of the, one of the properties themselves. And so I believe when you're applying for financing, you can count that income, the expected income, average income towards that loan. If I recall, I may be wrong on that, but I thought that is that that can help you get into that property as well. Absolutely. And what they're going to do is they're going to run rental comps. So they're just going to comp it out and say, hey, what do these rent for based on the other homes in the neighborhood that are renting like this? And depending on which lender you're working with, you're exactly right. You can get, you know, you might have to find a little more creative lender. You may not be able to go down to Chase or Wells Fargo or Bank of America and, and, and do it there. But if you get a little creative and find like a local mortgage company, they're usually able to kind of guide you through that process and tell you what you would need to have. And the cool thing about it, of course, is we all understand appreciation is incredible, right? Like that's, that's especially at a time like this, hopefully everybody understands the value of owning a hard asset uh, when, when they're printing money as fast as they are right now. So it's, it's cool because now you're not only owning your home that's appreciating, but you're owning all four of these residences, right? And so the value, you know, you may pay a little more to get into it, but you live for less every single month. And, and we all know, I mean, you know, the, the higher the value of the asset, the higher cash amount that it's going to appreciate by. And so your appreciation is basically 4X as what it would be if you just bought a house a fourth, you know, a fourth of that size and just lived in it yourself and paid all the rent. So there's a lot of advantages to doing it. Sure. And then the the other advantages I see is that once you've done that, you know, as it appreciates, you can go in, you can refinance the property, pull some cash out, take that unit you were living in, start renting that one out, and then take that money and go buy a new personal residence. Exactly. And, so, and, and that's a, lot a of different way there. to build a portfolio. I mean, you just added four doors to your portfolio. And I mean, you 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 did it with a with you know five percent down or under loan, little money out of pocket, lived for for very, you know, inexpensive, and boom, you got four four doors on your portfolio. And most people it takes, you know, a lifetime to acquire four rental properties. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to your ultimate strategy that when we were Love talking it. about it. I was like, wow, that's really cool. You know, I, I'd never thought of, of that technique. It's just not the way I invest. And, and so I'd really like you to share that with everyone as well and tell them how they can take something small and turn it into something big. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So again, this is the one I'm probably the most passionate about. Um, we teach a lot of different strategies, right? We teach everything from wholesaling to flipping to buying rentals. You know, we've, we've, pretty much done it all. We've had countless students go on to be, you know, super successful using all these different strategies. When COVID hit, we kind of took a step back ourselves uh, from, from, you know, running networks and teaching and mentoring ourselves. However, my mom said, no, this is the time that people need it the most. And so she really launched the Women's Real Estate Investors Network. And so now we just help her and we, we do some coaching for her students and help her, you know, educate women on how to get into the business and get started. And so it's, it's been really fun. 
But this strategy has been their absolute favorite. They love this ultimate, we call it the ultimate empire builder, but the ultimate house hacking strategy. More of our students have done this strategy than any of the other strategies we teach uh, because it allows you to check off so many boxes. We all love making money. The only thing better than making money is making a lot of money tax-free. We love that aspect of this strategy. Uh, but the coolest part about it is, again, as I told you all at the beginning, the strategy is applicable to everybody listening. So if you're starting out with a lower budget, maybe a couple of the other strategies we mentioned are ideal for you. But if you're going, okay, those all sound great, but I don't want to rent a bedroom out and I don't want to live in a townhome or a duplex or a triplex or a quadplex, this strategy is ideal because not only do you get to live in a single family home, but you ideally you get to go pick a home out in your dream neighborhood. Like the bigger, nicer, better the neighborhood, the better this strategy actually works. And then you get to take it a step further if it could get even better than that. And the first thing we do is we design the house. We rip it out and design it exactly like we want. So we get to live in a beautiful home in our dream neighborhood, design it and live exactly like we want. We get to live in it at a fraction of the cost that everybody else is paying to live in that same neighborhood. And then when we sell it, we get to take advantage of the 121 that we were talking about and not pay uh, uh, any capital gains or, or taxes on those profits up to the first quarter million if you're single, all the way up to half a million uh, if you're married. And so it's a super cool strategy. I'll kind of walk you through the process. I've always found the best way to, to educate is to, is to actually kind of go through some case studies and some examples. And so if you don't mind, I'll just kind of talk yeah, about my first one. And yeah. then I'll real briefly hit on uh, the the last one that I'm um, current, not the, far from the last, but the the current one that I'm doing now. So the first home, uh, the the real key to or I'll, I'll share the strategy with you real quick. So the key to this strategy is to buy a small house in a high end neighborhood. And the reason I say high end neighborhood is we're looking for homes that are at least about minimum two hundred and fifty, but really about three hundred square three hundred dollars a square foot and up. Okay, so if a home is a thousand square foot, it needs to be selling for at least three hundred thousand dollars. If a home is two thousand square foot, it needs to be selling for at least six hundred thousand dollars, which in this day and age is is you know very easy to find. That's kind of the starting point, and the higher you go, it's actually better. And so the first one that I ever did, the prices were going for about two hundred and fifty dollars a square foot. And uh, again, this is one of my favorite strategies because I kind of developed this myself. All the other strategies that we teach, I have to credit all to my mentors. Like my mentors taught me all these strategies. I didn't create them. This particular strategy, I took some advice from different mentors and kind of pieced some strategies together, but I really figured it out doing it myself. And so I bought a house that was uh, just under 1,500 square foot. It was 1,400 square foot. And I paid just over $100 a square foot for it. I paid about $120 a square foot because it was a rundown house. It was it, it never even had an air conditioner here in Texas. 1950s, all original. And it was one of the smallest houses in the neighborhood, which is key to this strategy. So a uh, 1,400 square foot house and all the other homes are ranging from 2,000 all the way up to like 27, 2,800. And so bought this house uh, for a really low price per square because it needed everything. So bought the house and we completely renovated it. And then we went down and we got a home equity line of credit to get an additional loan against this home that was now valued at a lot more. And we took that money and did an addition. So that's where the ultimate empire builder comes in is you do an addition. And on average, it cost about $100 a square foot here to build a house. Or you know to to build an addition as long as you're over you know six seven hundred square foot uh, then that 
that average kind of holds constant. It's going up a little bit with building material now, but so is the resale price. And so, but that's just the rough numbers we use. So if you, if you know you can sell for about $300 a square foot, but you know you can build for about $100 a square foot, or you can build an addition, right? Because we're not building kitchens. We're not building, you know, the, the, the expensive stuff. All that's already there. We're not building new driveways and, and, and new garages and, and all of those things. We don't have to, you know, re, re turf the entire front yard and sprinkler like, all of that's already in. We're just adding an addition. And so uh, that's exactly what we did. We added a, a 700 square foot addition. And so we bought that house for about $160,000. We put about $40,000 into renovating it. So we were all in for about $200,000. We went and got a home equity line of credit and got uh, for 75000 and put that into a 700 square foot addition. And so we were now all in for about $275,000 and took it from a 1400 square foot house to like a 2200 square foot house uh, or a 2300 square foot house, depending on how you looked at it. We did a little conversion, but anyways. And so then we were able to sell that house for $550,000 thousand dollars because we made it the most beautiful house in the neighborhood it was the now one of the larger houses in the neighborhood we completely remodeled everything we did a huge master ensuite so we had a huge walk-in closet and a nice massive walk-in bathroom and so we went from like this least appealing house to the most appealing house and my favorite part about it is is why we lived in it we were still paying like that $1,300 a month mm-hmm. for, for the original loan amount. And then we had another few hundred dollars that we were paying for that uh, home equity line of credit. So I'm all in paying like $1,700, $1,800 a month for a $550,000 house. Taxes, you know, eventually would have been assessed, but that happens down the road. And so you're just living for a fraction in this dream house. And we have pictures of it and, and it's a super, super cool house that we went on to sell. But really and truly, my, my ultimate favorite part about it is when we sold the house, right? So we sold that house for $550,000. We actually pocketed $245,000. That was our profit, $244,600. And the best part about it was we paid $0 in taxes on that quarter million dollars and took advantage of that one twenty-one and an extra $250,000. Now that's a chunk of change but you add the tax-free benefit to it. And I mean, you know, that's that's a massive game changer. Yeah, plus you got back the money you put down on the house. And so all that came back to you and then you just roll that into another deal, probably similar, exactly. right? Exactly. And and really, whenever we dive in and, and, and go through the whole case study of it, we used uh, 3.5% down to buy the house. So I was out, I was out of pocket five grand throughout that entire process. We used some uh, 0% interest credit cards and put the rehab on that and then paid them off when we did the home equity line of credit and got a really, really aggressive rate on that. And so we were out of pocket five grand throughout that entire process and put $250,000 into our pocket. And like you said, now you've got some serious capital and equity to, to really put in to the next deal. And so we, we call that sweat equity, of course, but so I won't I won't bore you with all the details because I think you know most people probably understand the concept by now on that one. But just because I love the strategy and, and, and I want to share, I got to mention that the current property that we're doing right now, mm-hmm. uh, we took it to the next level. So as you start doing some flips and, and, and doing these things, you get more experience. And so the one we're currently doing started out as just under two thousand square foot home, and it is now uh, five thousand six square feet. So a little over. 5,000 square foot. So as you mentioned, we were chatting earlier, it's called popping the top. Yep. Took the roof off, 
took it from eight foot ceilings, you know, to 10 foot ceilings, added an entire second floor, extended it out on the back to have a really big covered, nice patio. And I almost won't even offend you with all of the details on all of the numbers, but it's absolutely insane what that one's going to uh, pan out to. So let's just put it this way. Uh, I'm married now. And so even though I get uh, uh, the first half a million dollars to be absolutely tax free when we sell this house, I will still be paying quite a bit of money uh, or I would still be paying quite a bit of money uh, in taxes off of off of the uh, the rest of the of the proceeds we will make because it's the exact same strategy that we just talked about. It's just taking it to to a whole nother level. And so it's cool for us, too, because it's uh, it's in Bluffview. For those of you that are familiar with Dallas, it's, it's the most beautiful neighborhood in all of Dallas. And we're going to get to live there for a fraction of, of, of everybody else for for some time. And then when we're ready to sell it, I mean, it'll be a, a huge, huge profit. It's once again, it, it allows you to kind of leverage and maybe buy a little nicer house or a little more higher in house than you would which is cool. Plus you get to live in it for less, but most importantly, they appreciate even faster. And so when you go to resell that thing, uh, there's just a, a lot of upside. So the way we always recommend our students is if you're single, try to max out and get as close to that, you know, $200,000, $250,000 as you can, especially on that first deal. But as you go and as you graduate, especially if you're married, start making a little bit more and a little bit more and you buy a nicer house. And you know, a lot of people call it moving up. You make 150000 250000 on that first one. We'll put that into the second one and move into the nicer neighborhood. Make two, dollars $300,000 on that one. Put that into the next house and move up to that next neighborhood. And next thing you know, you're looking around and, and you're the Joneses everybody's trying to keep up with. Yeah, the gal that used to cut my hair years ago, that's what her and her husband was doing the entire time. They'd buy a house, live in it for three years, do the remodel, improve it, sell it, take that cash. And they just kept ratcheting up. And now they live on the water. And yeah. they really only started with that small investment because of all the gains. And one of the things yeah. that, you know, I want people to realize as well that, that are watching this or listening to it is that you might be thinking, well, Clint, what about the real estate market? You know, is it going to cool down and you're not going to get that appreciation? Personally, I don't think that is a factor right now because we have such a low supply of housing. In fact, one of an individual I was speaking with this week, uh, a client of mine just put down an offer on a house in, a, in the uh, Vegas market. And the day that house went on the market, it had three all-in cash offers with escalation clauses built into it. And he actually won, but it just shows you that the market is not cooling off the way people say. And so they think, of this, is this too much of a risk to do that? I think that you know, in order to make money, you gotta be willing to take some risk, wouldn't you say? No, absolutely, hundred percent. And and again, you know, I don't I don't want to get into the to the fine print and the details, but just look at inflation alone. I mean, even if the even if the housing market maybe corrects a little bit, we know inflation's not isn't slowing down. And so, just owning that hard asset, you know, even if you're worried like, oh, the value of my home may may drop a little bit, well, probably not near as much as the value of, of your cash sitting in your bank account. And so, just just look at it simply from that lens, and that really eliminates a lot of the downside. Is 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 the way that we you know view it. That's why we're still buying uh, left and right, and and don't really let it affect us. And then the reality is, especially the strategy we're talking about now is look, you're going to have to have a place to live. I don't care who's listening right now. You need a place to live. And so you're either paying rent, letting somebody else take advantage of all five streams of wealth generation that you can create in real estate investing, or you can get in, start playing the game and you got to have somewhere to live anyway. So even if the market does go down, well, don't sell that time. Don't sell tomorrow. Because one thing we know about real estate is historically speaking, 99.9% .9 of the time when it goes down, it comes back up. 
you know, we used to say with the exception of Detroit, but even that's caught on now. So, so you really can't uh, have too many exceptions in in that in that uh, philosophy there. So, yeah, I I agree a hundred percent. But to support what you're saying, we are we are not seeing uh, inventory levels rise. So, you know, in, in, until there's a huge surplus of inventory, it's simple supply and demand, and we're nowhere near a, a, a time period right now where there's a a huge uh, surplus of of properties on the market. They're they're flying off as fast as they can list them. Correct. So, you know, if you're thinking about this and, you th- and, and you're saying, well, uh, I don't know anything about construction. I don't know where to find a house or I don't have the time to do something like this. Listen, those are just excuses. And you can always find an excuse not to do something. And then that's going to be the reason why you're not going to be moving ahead in your wealth creation. And a lot of times people, they put these excuses in front of them. And it, and it frustrates me because they, they think, oh, you're just lucky with what you've done with your investing. It's like, no, I don't put excuses in front of what I want to do and that you figure it out as you go along, as I'm sure you did on that first deal. hundred percent. Yep. And there's always somebody out there that's will that's done it before that's willing to show you how to do it. It's the best advice I can give you is, is get started, take action. You're going to figure it out as you go. And if you get stuck, then don't hesitate to reach out and find someone who's already done it before and uh, copy them. Correct. And you guys teach a class on that. So uh, if someone wanted to get a hold of you to learn more about this strategy, you just talked about your ultimate strategy, uh, what would you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually recommend to go through my mom's course. And so she runs and owns the Women's Real Estate Investors Network. We jump in and do some teaching with her and training with her as well uh, to help support and grow that. You can find it at womensreen.com. But it's just simply the Women's Real Estate Investors Network. Uh, If you look it up, you'll find it pretty quickly. We just had an incredible, huge event here in Dallas. Obviously, you guys were a part of it. Uh, Barbara Corcoran and and, uh, Jamie Kerma and... and, uh, Elena Cardone and, and some really cool people came out and supported it. And so you can check out the recordings of that. So yeah, that's that's the best way is hop on the Women's Real Estate Investors Network, either Facebook group, Instagram, or website, and uh, go through go through a masterclass. It's like 17 bucks, and we teach you everything we just covered and uh, 10 times more. Uh, it'll be the best investment you ever make in your entire life, in my opinion, is uh, 17 bucks to get some really good foundational uh, education and, and understanding. And uh, there's... There was over uh, 2,000 women that came, actually close to 3,000, but over 1,000 of those were her students. And uh, it was super cool to just hear the stories about how many of those women were just absolutely crushing it. And like you said, they all had those excuses and those doubts in the back of their mind that were like, oh, this isn't for me or, oh, I can't do this. But once they started surrounding themselves with other women that were actually doing it and seeing the results, it was absolutely, I mean, it, it, gives, it gave me chills whenever I saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women, almost a thousand women stand up that had already done their first investment deal and that were using these exact strategies and, and found a way to eliminate those those doubts in their head because they're always going to be there. We all have them, but they're just simply, you know, those limiting beliefs. And uh, yeah, it's it's life changing if you can find a way to just get that first property and or get that next property. And I'll leave you with this. One of my uh, uh, favorite, you know, quotes is uh, the best time to buy real estate was yesterday, but the next best time is the day. So we can't go back in time, but I've never met anybody that said, man, I just wish I hadn't bought all this real estate 10 years ago. I uh, I haven't ran across anybody who's who's said that just yet. So I encourage you, you can't go back in time, but you, you can definitely control what you do from today moving forward. Great. Kelton, hey, thanks for coming on. I'm going to put that in the show notes as well. And one last point I do want to make. 
How about if you're not a woman? Can you still? Have <laughs> so we, uh, yeah. So we retired. We, uh, we we laid the mic down and decided to focus on our own personal portfolio and grow our rental assets and all of that. Uh, so right now we are only serving women. So as long as you've got a woman in your life, a wife, a spouse, I highly encourage have them jump on and go. Most, uh, not most, but I would say uh, probably close to fifty percent of uh, of her students and and the women in the Women's Real Estate Investors Network are doing this with spouses and significant others. Uh, so it's still a really great way to jump in and get started. But if you're a single male, then uh, stay tuned to uh, Clint's podcast, watch as many as you can. And hey, you may see us again uh, in the future. But the reality is there's tons of people out there, right? If we're not your cup of tea or, or we're not the ideal uh, person for you, there's tons of people out there that are willing to show you exactly how to do it. And they've already done it before. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Don't try to go out there and figure it all out on your own. I, I'm sure all of you know by now how much value you've gotten from uh, Anderson and Clint's podcast. I mean, they do this stuff for a living. They know how to do this. They know people that do this for a living. Get out there and find somebody that that uh, aligns with your philosophies and your beliefs and is willing to show you how to do exactly what it is that you're trying to achieve. And it's, you know, as George Ross says, real estate is simple. People make it complicated. So just get out of your own way. Yeah. Well, if you're a single guy, what I would do is just go to the conferences, hang out in the bars and wait for those girls. To come and tell me all <laughs> That's <the> right. <laughs> That's right. Pick one of the hundreds that are walking out with the big plaques and awards yeah. for all the real estate they've bought. That's that's a that's great tip one. right there. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it. All right, man. Thanks for coming on. Take care. All right. Good to see you, Clint. Y'all take care. All right. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 